This podcast is not personal financial advice. You're listening to the Aussie Firebug Podcast, the financial independence podcast for Australians. Hey guys, welcome back to another episode of the Aussie Firebug Podcast, the financial independence podcast for Australians, where I interview clever people who have already reached or are on their way to financial independence. Today, I'm chatting to Tina from moneyflamingo.com, which is an Aussie fire blog that focuses on a very cool concept called Flamingo Fire, which is very popular amongst the community. Tina and her partner have been on an incredible journey. They went from being broke and clueless in their early 30s into happy semi-retirees just five years later which of course is a relatively short amount of time, just five years in in uh, the world of fire. And how they did it was very interesting. And this isn't a story that, you know, that they were living on rice and beans and they just weren't spending any money or that they were earning, you know, like a big CEO salary. They're a normal couple who have children, by the way. They live in Sydney. I think the last uh, article that Tina wrote about her expenses was around about the $80,000 a year mark. So pretty typical. I'd even say in the fire community, that mark is probably spending even a little bit more than most people are spending. So the concept and the strategy of how they did this, the Flamingo Fire part is very interesting and I'm sure it is quite relatable and applicable to a lot of people out there listening. So let's get into it after a quick word from our sponsor. Today's episode is brought to you by our partners at ShareSite, the number one portfolio tracking tool for Aussie investors. ShareSite makes it ridiculously simple with automatic holdings updates, comprehensive tax and performance reporting wrapped up in an easy to use fully cloud-based system. My favorite thing about using ShareSite is how easy it makes tax returns. Simply generate your tax report at the end of the financial year and voila, you're done. And here's the best part. It's 100% free for users that have under 10 holdings. If you have over 10 holdings and want to sign up, make sure you use my link to get the first four months for free. Head over to aussiefirebug.com forward slash share site to receive this special offer. Even if you're signing up to the free plan, using that link will score you four months for free if you ever decide to own more than 10 holdings within 60 days. Finish tax time with a click of a button using share site by signing up today. That's aussiefirebug.com forward slash share site for your free four months. Welcome to the pod, Tina, aka Mrs. Flamingo. Yeah, thanks so much for having me, Matt. Now, before I begin, let's start with the name. What's the story behind Flamingo or Money Flamingo? Right, okay. Well, the name actually refers to our approach to fire. So you've jumped straight in. Because basically the way we approach fire, like we refer to, refer to our approach as fire standing on one leg, like a flamingo. So that's where the name came from. So And then one day I just thought, oh, Money Flamingo, that's actually quite catchy. So let's use that. Absolutely. Let's just jump straight into that topic because I did have it in my questions uh, a bit further down, but let's jump into what your blog is arguably most known for, and that is the concept of Flamingo Fi. So what exactly is Flamingo Fi and when did you come up with this concept? Yep. So Flamingo Fi is basically an alternative to the standard path to Fi. The outcome is exactly the same. So the end goal is still financial independence, like with normal FI. But the way we get there is slightly different with Flamingo FI. When we got serious about FI, we were already in our early 30s. So we tried to find a way to get there quicker. Or not necessarily to get to fire quicker, but to get some freedom back as quickly as possible. And because at that point I had realized that not working is not really for me. And it wasn't really about retirement, uh, as is the case for most people in the community anyway. For sure. 
I thought, um, yeah, a shortcut would be nice. And um, I did a lot of reading about compound interest investing. And you know how you always see these graphs in the basic investing books about like the girl who starts investing at 18 and then stops at 25. And when she's 65, she actually has more accumulated than someone who starts at 35 and saves a lot more all the way through to retirement. So I saw that and then I thought, like it kind of clicked and I thought, oh, maybe we could use that to get to fire through compound interest. So I thought, what would happen if we just say we saved half of the required nest egg and then just stopped? And I did the math uh, with the rule of 72. So um, if we get 7% real returns over time, that would mean that it's about 10.2 years, I think, to get to fire. So we thought, oh, we'll just do that. We'll save half of our fire nest egg and then just wait 10 years or 15 years or however long it takes. Um, and we'll just semi-retire, work part-time and just enjoy life while our nest egg does the hard work in the background. Amazing. And this um, this concept have, has resonated with a lot of people because I've had it uh, on my blog before and definitely on the Facebook group, which I believe you're a, a member of. Yes. I mean, I'm not a regular on Facebook. I sort of jump in and out. We have two young kids, so I don't have a lot of time to spend on social media. But yeah, I'm a member and yeah. Yeah, probably a good thing to stay off <laughs> to stay off social media. But I see your name pop up in there. I think someone once tagged me and then I saw it like four months later and then responded to them, but they were still happy to hear from me. So I guess that's good. <laughs> yeah. yeah, no, I see, I've seen it pop up a few times. I've actually seen it, I think for the first time years ago, because you started this Flamingo Fire, like, I don't know, back in 2018 or something, 2019. Yeah, yeah, that's right. I mean, we started pursuing this like in 2016. And to start off with, I thought, oh, this is too easy. So this can't be true. Like maybe this won't work. But then when we actually got really close to the end goal, I thought, oh, this is actually legitimate. So I should share it with the world. So I started the block yeah, in May 2018. So over three years ago now, which is a long time in the fire world. <laughs> it totally is. It's definitely a concept that, uh, like I said, resonates with a lot of people. And even to myself, uh, especially now this year, that we haven't reached full financial independence, but I'm only working 20 hours a week at the moment. And to a certain degree, like I'm, yeah, I'm, I'm living like the amount of freedom that you get back and the time from going from five days a week to three days a week, which is less than what I'm even doing now is just astronomical. And, and I remember feeling like this as well at the very start, when you find out about financial independence and fire, it can be overwhelming to know it could be 10, 15, 20 years away. And it's almost like, you know, you're grinding away, you're grinding away and it's almost you know, is this worth it? I, I want to, you know, it's so far away. I can't see the light at the end of the tunnel. And this is definitely a great alternative for people out there that maybe are stuck in a job that they really don't like. Because it's a little bit different if you're in a job or a situation that, you know, you're sort of living a really good life anyway. And yeah, I really like the concept of Flamingo Fire. Yeah, 100%. So you're living it right now. So you can see the benefits. Um, and I mean, nobody really wants to retire. I would say 99% of people in the fire community, if they're completely honest, they won't retire. They will keep making money in one form or another. The word retire does not mean the traditional word in, in the fire space, 100%. Like, like you said, I don't know one single person, not one single person that has reached financial independence and done nothing to earn a dollar. Not because that they intended it to earn dollars, but it's just the way it worked out that they ended up pursuing their passions and they went into a field that they absolutely love and through some opportunity – they ended up making a little bit of money. And I've, I've recently thought about this and I wrote a little bit about this um, in, my, in my latest post about how conservative, I know a lot of people out there 
like to sometimes pick on the 4% rule. But the odds that you will not be earning anything when you reach your financial independence number is extremely, extremely low. And I think it's just outrageously conservative to even go the the 4% rule. And the creator of the 4% rule changed it to the 5% rule, I think, like two years ago. Yeah, I saw that, yeah. uh, Given the the current low interest rate environment. And when you factor that in, you realize that you'll probably be earning some form of money. If you're doing the modelings, you know, it can completely shave off years, if not decades, off to when you have to, you know, stop full-time work completely. And I think that's a really nice, like Flamingo Fire is a really nice way to bridge the gap between working full-time to just going to nothing and then yeah. to, you know, scale it back a few days. Uh, so, yeah, I'm definitely going to link. Um, there's you've, you've actually got a, a few posts, I think, on your website that, you know, lays out the steps of the Flamingo Fire. I think there's like a three-part series or something like that. Um, so, I'll put it in the show notes. Yeah, yeah, I've got a few posts, yeah. If we rewind the clock, when did you first discover FIRE or the concept of financial independence? Right. Okay. So that was actually when I started my first real job, my first proper corporate job when I was 27. So I actually spent most of my 20s uh, traveling, backpacking, studying, just having a lot of fun, living like a really free life. Uh, I always worked on the side, a little bit of this, a little bit of that, but I never had a proper full-time job. Yeah, so I started my first job three days before my 27th birthday, and it was terrible. It was just a complete shock to the system. And I know you experienced something similar. It was just, and I think retrospectively, I think I know that I always kind of avoided the day I had to start my first job full time because I knew it wasn't for me. But I have to say it like, uh, it was a proper shock to the system. Um, It wasn't even a particularly bad job, but just the fact that you have to get up in the morning, get dressed up, commute to work, and then you're basically stuck behind your desk all day. Maybe you get a lunch break. No matter how nice the weather is outside, no matter what else is going on in the world, you're just there, whether you're working or not, or uh, reading on the internet, you can't, you can't leave. And then you take the train or the bus back home, you order some takeout or you have some dinner. And then at the end of the day, I was so tired that all I could do is crash Uh, in front of the TV and have a shower, go to bed and then do it over and over and over again for 40 years. That was was thinking at the time. I thought, I I can't do it. um, And I thought it would get better, but it didn't really. Humans weren't meant to live like that, were we? Honestly, it's, it's, you know, and like you said, some people I don't think like it or or they get used to it or they put up with it. Do you know what I mean? And there's a very small percent of people out there because I know everyone likes to say, find a job you love and you'll never work a day in your life. It's like that is a pipe dream for 95% of people. Like that's really easy to say, but come on, everyone can't be in a perfect job that they love. Like not everyone can be professional athletes or, you know, singers or performers. Like it is, there's heaps of jobs out there that need to be done that let's be honest, are not great jobs. And if you're going to work at 40 hours a week, I don't care who you are, unless you're Mr. or Mrs. Optimistic, it's probably going to suck at some point and you want to get out of it. No, 100%. And that's exactly how I felt. I felt just trapped. I didn't even mind the work at all, but it was more the fact that I couldn't control my time. And I had to be there whether I wanted to or not, no matter what. Um, And then it was actually quite generous. And like in Europe, you get 30 days annual leave, which compared to Australia is really good. But still, that's not a lot. That's not like that's better than nothing. But uh, yeah, just the fact that I couldn't control my time at all really got to me really quickly. So like most of us, I started um, hanging around on the internet, Googling. This was in 
early 2012, so um, almost 10 years ago. So I Googled for a long time, like, I hate my job. How do I get out of my job? How do I not work? Um, didn't even Google anything about retiring owing because that concept was so foreign to me that I didn't even consider it. But I don't know how, but eventually I found JL Collins' FU Money post, and that just blew my mind. Because up to that point for me, savings was maybe $10,000 to go on a trip. That was a lot of money. So um, just the idea that you could accumulate so much money that you could just tell someone to F off was just, yeah, it blew my mind. And I thought, that's exactly what I want to do. And yeah, Google some more, uh, eventually found Mr. Money Mustache. Um, his blog was only about a year old at that time. So there were not a lot of posts on it. I think now he has like something like 300 posts. But at that point, it was really stuff like um, the shockingly simple math to early retirement, stuff like that. And I read all of that. And also his philosophy, just about living, uh, leading a happy life, um, a simple life that really resonated with me. And my mind was blown. And for the next few months, I just read everything I possibly could on the topic. There were not a lot of blog at that time. Actually, I read the book Early Retirement Extreme. That was also really interesting. Yeah. And I thought, oh, this is awesome. And there was one calculator online. I think it was called Networthify, which was one of the early calculators. And um, I typed in our numbers, found out it would take us up to 20 years, 17 to 20 years to get there. And then I was just, oh, this is not going to happen. I'm going to be 47 and I have to live like a poor person until then. So I did nothing. So this is actually how local people get really motivated when they find out about fire. For me, it was actually the opposite. I was like, I might as well just not worry about it because I won't ever get there anyway. And I don't want to live like a uni student. So yeah, I did, did nothing. But that's how I found out about fire. And it was sort of always in the back of my mind. But it didn't really seem that it was something that we could achieve. There were no European fire blocks at the time, none that I could find anyway. I know there were no Australian fire blocks. Um, it was just these American fire blocks. And in a way, it sort of felt a bit like Hollywood of finance. Yeah, so I didn't do anything for probably about three years. But that's how I found out about it. Tina, you and me have a very, very similar trajectory. Um, even just the way, like when I first started full-time work, I was almost the exact same as you had hit me like a Mack truck that first couple of weeks. I was just tired after work. I was commuting probably 50 minutes on the highway. Wasn't like bumper to bumper traffic. It was, you know, it's pretty good drive, but I, I couldn't believe the amount of time, energy, resources, preparing, like you said, you're getting into these uncomfortable clothes to look professional. You're just scoffing down food. You're not enjoying any, you know, it's just, it's all, your life is centered around something that whilst I enjoyed maybe 30% of the work, like I didn't care about the meetings, the pol political crap and everything else went on. Let's be honest, if I didn't need the money, I wouldn't be there. Like there's no way I'd be giving up 40 hours of my week to go to this place of employment. It, well, I was there for the money and all the other things that came along with the job that were good. My friends at work, colleagues, you know, the fun, interesting work, they, they were all like, you know, extras on top of the wage, but make no mistake about it. I was there like for the money because I needed money to function in society and you can't sort of get anywhere without it. Yeah. And like you, I also discovered Mr. Money Moustache. I think Mr. Money Moustache, honestly, that article, the ridiculously simple math to early retirement, I feel like that should be like 
enshrined like the constitution of fire or something everyone i reckon in the fire community has read that article and it is it is such a light bulb moment my light bulb moment for like financial independence actually come from rich dad poor dad because it was so simple you know assets generate money but yeah what mr money mustache and to your point as well and i think he doesn't he gets a lot of credit obviously he's like you know the biggest name in the community but he really popularized the idea and made it it was like this superpower that people have and no one was writing about it. And even financial planners and everyone in finance was always talking about like, you can reach this goal when you're 60. But he was like, no, no, no. You can reach it when you're like late 20s, 30s. If you re- like if every, you know, all the stars align, you can reach it that young. But even if they don't, you realistically only need about 10 to 15 years, yeah. depending on your circumstances, of course. And that like- that's why I think he's so popular and it just like a whole community sprouted um, basically from from his blog is because it's like he's laying down the maths of how it works, but he's also, to your other point, it's the philosophy on how to live your life. That was, I feel like that touched so many people, yep. you know, to be efficient with your spending, to be intentional with your consumption and to, you know, let's let's leave you know, this place in a little bit of a, a better situation than we found it. We've, you know, got kids and everything like that. I, I think he his combination and also probably more so the life philosophy side of things appeal to people. I, I like to think that anyway than the, you know, the fancy um, finance stuff because it is really more about the psychological part of it yeah. and, um, you know, how to live a great life in, in my opinion. Anyway, that's enough for me yabbering on. I just thought it was interesting that we we, we were so similar um, with our stories. Yeah, I know. I agree with you 100%. Uh, it's uh, all about the philosophy. And the finance stuff is almost like not important if you do all of the life stuff. Yes. It sort of falls to the side. I know at the start, everybody thinks about, oh, how do I go about investing? I see in your Facebook group, like there's a million questions every week about which index fund should I invest in? It's like, oh, oh my God, people, it really doesn't matter. Just pick one and then move on and think about your life and what you actually want to do and how you want to raise your kids, how you want to leave the planet, stuff like that. That's the kind of stuff Mm. Mr. Money Mustache talks about. And um, he basically said everything that you need to know about finance can be explained in 10 blog posts, which is true, right? Um, 100%. I'm definitely, you know, vibing with what you're saying. And actually, I I was going to mention this later on, but I'll mention it now. I seen that you had a blog post about the, um, you recently read The Psychology of Money by Morgan Housel. And um, it's funny because I literally finished that book like two weeks ago and I seen it. I was like, oh, yeah, you just read that book as well. And I thought it was absolutely phenomenal because of, you know, a lot of the things that you're speaking about, about the the management of money and to be good at money is so much more, it is is like 90% psychology and then maybe a little bit of knowing the math and and why this stuff works. I really enjoyed that book. Yeah, uh, I thought it was the best personal finance book I've probably read in the last five years. I thought it was so good. Like I read the print edition, then I bought the audio book and it's just so short, which is just a shame. But it's amazing. And I really hope that he'll write a second book soon. Um, I love his writing. And yeah, it's just, it's 20 chapters, I think. And uh, like the ideas, like there's a great idea in every chapter. It's uh, such a great read and it really resonated with me. 100%. 100%. I'll put a link in the show notes um, to that book because it is it is really a ripper and the discipline 
of investing and money is so counterintuitive. And he goes in into detail and he explains it a lot better than I could ever explain it in this podcast. But, you know, a lot of other professions, you trust the experts in the field and people that have been, you know, studying it for decades and decades. And it's like the smartest people usually do well, but money, it's not like that for money a lot of the time. Like the smartest people are usually not that great with money. Or well, I shouldn't yeah. generalize, you know, like that as well. But it, but the point I'm trying to make in, in the book makes is you don't need to be smart, like academically smart to be really good at money. There's, there's so yeah. many other, you know, psychological things that you need to understand and have in order to be to be good at money it's actually quite simple and if you like you over make it too complex it, it's actually worse and that's so counterintuitive to you know a lot of other places and a lot of other industries no 100 percent. it's so true yeah you don't have to be smart to be good with money but um it's actually i think if you're very smart you might overthink it and that's what i see a lot of people do it's actually quite simple when you think about it, but it's so simple, and you try, and it's it's counterintuitive, and I, I fell into that trap as well at the start. I was like, it can't be like I can't just do the simple approach. Like these smart guys are doing com- complex stuff, derivatives and leverage, and like they're playing with all these financial instruments. That's what I need to learn, and I need to like learn all this, and and you just don't. And it's it's really the simpler um, you make it, the better off you'll be, which is just so, it's weird to think about that that's the case. Yeah. It's all just smoke and mirrors. It is. And it's a lot of the time that those people that are pushing those products are the ones that are actually making money and, you know, you end up with a less of a return, but that's a whole nother topic. (laughs) (laughs) Now you've described yourself and your husband as broke and clueless in your early thirties. Yep. That turned into happy semi-retirees just five years later. Yeah. Talk to us a bit about the transition of uh, how you go from from broke to semi-retired in just five years. Okay, right. Like I said earlier, so I spent my 20s traveling and just having fun. I didn't grow up with parents who taught me a lot about money. My parents um, are very frugal. They have lots of savings. My dad is a public servant. So we were never poor or anything like that, but they also didn't really invest in shares or anything like that. So I didn't really grow up knowing anything about investing. I always just thought it was risky and I never had much money um, because we never had money. I spent it on traveling. Mr. Flamingo was the same. He was actually um, like he tried to be this pro investor in his early 20s. He saved like a lot of money and then made a really stupid investment decision where he lost all of it. And yeah, we basically didn't care much about money. We were just living like uh, happy uni students who like to travel. And yeah, when we were in our early 30s, I sort of thought, okay, uh, we know it's early 30s now. Uh, things have to change. Um, yeah, we didn't have a lot of money. We were basically broke then. I actually had to take a 15 grand loan from my dad when we relocated from Europe to Australia just to um, start us off. But then I learned more and more about investing. I read like 100 personal finance books. I figured out a plan that would work for us. At that point, I had figured out that I don't want to retire. I actually tried to become a freelancer and be semi-retired in my late 20s, and it didn't work at all. I basically got depressed. I started gambling and drinking alcohol like most mornings. It didn't work at all. So I knew that that was not the path for me. I actually need structure. I really love working. I just don't like all the politics. Um, I don't like people controlling my time, but I do like working. So I knew, yeah, I don't want to retire. And with that knowledge of how to actually make fire work, plus knowing myself a lot better, 
it was really simple. Like relocated to Australia in 2015, we both landed pretty good jobs, just normal corporate jobs, nothing fancy. But if you come from a lifestyle where you're just really frugal and you don't need a big house and a big car and also things like that, it is so easy to just save one income. It was just the simplest thing in the world. And that's what we started doing. I knew how to invest, which was just an index funds. We bought an investment property. We just kept going and going and going. And uh, yeah, and four years and eight months later, we hit uh, our goal of Flamingo Phi and declared ourselves semi-retired. So um, yeah, from zero to hero, really. <laughs> That's amazing. And you've blogged all about this in a um, a series called Project 1000 yep. on, on your blog, which I'll, I'll uh, link to. So for those out there listening that haven't heard of this, can you explain briefly what it is and why you decided to create it? Yep. Um, so when we were about, I think, 45% done, so 45% on the way to Flamingo Phi, and I realized that this is actually going to happen, I thought, yeah, I want to share our story um, with the world, maybe help some people who also got depressed after they found fire and thought it would never happen for them and who don't want to spend 10 to 15 years in the rat race um, for whatever reason, maybe because they have young kids or because they're a bit older. So I thought, yeah, I'll share our story. And at the same time, I wanted to keep us accountable because at that point it was almost too easy. So um, I thought, yeah, this will actually be nice to do a monthly update with graphs and keep ourselves motivated and accountable um, with a bit of an audience. And uh, yeah, started Project 1000, which was the last 1000 days on our journey to semi-retirement, which um, ended up being less, I think, 900 and something days. Um, yeah, and we just posted a monthly update um, and shared our progress. And um, yeah, got quite a following actually um, over the three years that we did Project 1000. Uh, quite a few people who said, oh, I found this and this actually blew my mind and this has changed my life, which meant a lot to me because, uh, yeah, Mr. Money Mustache like actually changed my life. There's probably one man that changed my life. It's, it's him. So um, I thought I wanted to pay it forward. And if this idea can help some people, then that would be great. And it did. So, yeah. That's been really fun. That's awesome. And my favorite part about the updates is the little flamingo that's climbing yeah. up the mountain that you do and he moves every time that you, you post a new update. Um, I love that. Oh, a bit of gamification helps with this kind of stuff, right? It's just- Absolutely, doesn't it? I mean, I know it looks silly, but it's so motivating and so fun to do little graphs and share it with people. And um, it's like a computer game. And in the end, we get there and- uh... Definitely. I, I found that even if you're just keeping it private to yourself, like- I do the, our net worth update every month and it is consciously in the back of your mind, even if you're not, you know, tr you, you know, you honestly like, I don't care. Even when I was in Europe for the last two years traveling and whatever, it was just con consciously in the back of your mind. I wonder how we're going to go next month. Are we going to be high? Are we going to be lower? And you, if you do measure something, I'm a real strong believer in what's measured is managed. So if you're not measuring a metric or a goal that you want to improve, it's possible to improve it, but it's a lot harder. If you're measuring it and you're reviewing it on a weekly, monthly, whatever it is basis, and that goes with anything. If you're training, you, you know, trying to lose weight, whatever it is, it's very important, I think, to measure it. And, and like you said, that gamification of, um, you know, and, and it helps as well to have a bit of an audience and yeah. have feedback, but not everyone can realistically do that, but it is um, it is nice having people cheer you on yeah. along the way. No, of course, but even if it's just five people, it doesn't matter if it's like 5,000 people or five people. If those people really engage, 
then that helped so much. And um, I didn't have like a massive following, but a loyal following. And that really helped because I knew even if it's just 20 people, they will read this every month. And they are sort of doing a plan similar to ours because of what I'm doing. So I felt kind of responsible to put it out there. And I always say it's like the, one of the best things we've done because we had two kids while we were pursuing Flamingo Fi, a lot changed in our lives. So I think if I didn't have the blog, I would have been a lot more tempted to sort of change our plan. Or you know how you have a goal and you are not accountable to someone. It's very likely that you might change it for yourself and then justify that decision to yourself. And I think us having to publish this monthly actually kept us on track to pursue the same goal and not change it a million times. So that's what really helped us. 100%. I know people that have put on Facebook, they're going, they're going to do something like, you know, next year I will perform in the, you know, whatever Melbourne Comedy Festival. Like, like I had a friend that was a comic. Like he said, he was like, I'm putting it out there to the world. I will do this and I'm going to feel real crap and bad if I don't because now I've promised, you know, sort of made this public thing and I'll put pressure on myself. So I guess people have different ways to motivate, but it, it, yeah, definitely, you know, the gamification and measuring it, I, I'm definitely a big fan of. And the other thing as well that I like about Flamingo Fire is a lot of people would argue if you're on the journey to fire and you're hating your life, you're probably not doing it right. Like it's 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 better to take a lower paying job or, you know, swerve in your life to do something different. Like you don't want to just grind away for years and years and years in this pursuit of this magical number that's going to make everything better. But like you said, not everyone is in that situation to be able to swerve or to take a risk, especially if you've got kids or something and you're in a job and you are the provider and you know you might have a mortgage or whatever it is. Not everyone has the luxury to do that. And it's good if you do, but if you don't, I think something like Flamingo Fire would be super appealing because you don't, you're not, you don't feel like a trapped rat for, <laughs> you know, 10 years in this, this, um, this spot that you don't want to be in. And you, even just the psychological effect, you know, again, we, we go back to that, uh, psychology of money to know that you're going to cut it in, in half is a lot more appealing. It's a lot more palatable to wait five years or maybe three than it is to be six or 10 years away. So I really like that. Yeah, 100%. I think if I hadn't figured that out, we would still be doing the same thing we did in our late 20s, which is basically just work and then spend it all because there's no point. We really needed Flamingo Fire to make fire happen for us. And ironically, we're like actually really close to actual fire now. I mean, obviously the markets have been going really well, but I mean, we've also just kept saving outside of our nest egg just because once you're successful in your job and you're on this path, you almost can't stop it. So I think we will actually get there really quickly, even if we don't try. Like, I mean, we're not actively saving anymore, but it's almost like a train you can't stop. It's, it's a snowball. It's rolling down the hill. It's picking up snow. It's It's crazy. And I mean, obviously we worked really hard in our jobs to make more money to get to Flamingo Fire quicker. But the effect that that had is that you don't just cut that off when you semi-retire. Like I'm going back to work part-time now and my pay is actually like my part-time pay is now the same that it was when I first started this job in 2016 full-time. So it's almost impossible to stop saving and this is also what Morgan Helder said in the book. I mean, just keep saving. And I think even if we try really hard not to, it will happen. So um. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So just on 
the math side of Flamingo Fire. Is it once you reach halfway or is there a particular number? Because I know traditional fire and I know the 4% rule, you know, isn't perfect. And we spoke a little bit about this. It's like the 4% rule is just a guide, people. You don't need to (laughs) pick it apart a billion times and spend like, you know, hours on hours with your modeling. Like you can if you want to, like all the Excel geeks out there, which I'm, I'm an Excel geek myself, but it's just a guide. It's not the definitive, you know, be end, end all of fire, but that's traditionally 25 times your expenses. Yep. You have to save up, you know, invest it. So how mathematically does Flamingo Fire work? Oh, really simple. So it's 12.5 times your annual so spending. Half, yeah. So yeah, we went with the 4% rule because just like you said, it is just a guide. And I don't know one person who will, once they hit 25 times their annual spending, stop all sorts of income, stop working and then withdraw 4% every year, inflation adjusted, no matter what happens in the world, what the markets do, nobody will ever do that. So even if you don't work anymore, you will probably withdraw less if there's a massive crash or you might withdraw more if you suddenly have 10 million. Mm. There's so many options we have, right? It's like, come on. It's like these articles pop up on like money.com and it's like, has fire failed during coronavirus? (laughs) It's like, dude, dude. There's, there's so many things we could do. Look, uh, fire, it really is more about the mindset. And yeah, we went with the 25 times your annual spending rule. So 12.5 times for Flamingo Fire, because that just felt like a good round number. It works for us. So we actually last year when we stopped um, Project 1000 and we had 12.5 times, we um, thought it would take us 10 years. But now I actually checked last month and we now have 17 times our annual spending and it doesn't, to be honest, the feeling is no different. I don't feel any more fire now than I did in October last year. And I'm pretty sure once we cross the 25 times mark, I will feel just the same. Yeah. You're not going to wake up, be like, ping, it, life's amazing. Nothing could go wrong. No, well, I think there's, that's where a lot of people go wrong because they spend all of this time waiting for this magic moment. And, you know, the heavens won't open once you reach that number. Nothing will change in your life unless you change it. And you better change before you get there so that, you know, you have something to look forward to. And uh, to be honest, we are so happy. We are officially semi-retired. We live such a good life. We are so happy. We've probably the happiest we've ever been, but not because we hit this magic number, but because we spent those five years sort of creating a life that we really want and that we're really happy with. And you get the time back. Yeah. You're getting the time back, which is the most precious thing that this tool called money, which is a human invention, can buy us is our time back. It's the ultimate reward. Exactly. It's so true. We can control our time now. And I mean, I choose to work. I think I'll even stay in the job that I lived the last five years for a little longer because I actually really like it now because work does get better when you don't need the job, as I'm sure you feel the same way. Absolutely. You're, you're preaching to the choir here, uh, <laughs> sure, Tina. Yeah. Like I, I feel like I'm Flamingo Fire at the moment because <laughs> I can't remember if we spoke about it since we've been recording or pre-recording, but you know, I'm only working 20 hours a week at the yeah. moment and I am, you know, I started a freelance business this year doing my data services work that I love to do. It's like solving a puzzle for me every day. It's, you know, it's my geek tech itch that I get to scratch and I don't like, I would do it for free, you know, a few hours a week. That's, that's the yeah. difference though. I wouldn't do it full time, yeah. but I do it uh, you know, a couple of days to work with smart people. Let's solve a problem together. I really dig that sort of work. And 
I just, yeah, loving everything you're saying because I'm only working, you know, three days if that. Some some weeks it's like maybe near full-time hours, but majority of the time it's three days. And it is a game changer to go from five full-time, full-time days to three and you can do like one at home, you know, remote. It's just epic. Yeah, I know it makes such a big difference. And um, yeah, for me, the big difference is that I can work because I want to, not because I have to. And that changes everything. And that's what semi-retirement is all about for us. I actually had a question here. What is the biggest difference now you're semi-retired, which you sort of answered it. But was there anything else you wanted to add to that? No, I think that really is the biggest takeaway. And I like for me, um, I'm a person who needs structure, so I do need the work. Um, but for me, it's all about balance. It's so nice to work, but then it's also so nice to not work the next day and to spend time with my kids at the beach, um, to meet friends, to look after my health, to exercise. Just the balance has just been amazing. Yeah, that's probably the best thing that is just a very nice balanced life. Because mm. you got those important things the stuff that actually matters gets pushed to the side if your priorities are elsewhere and i've seen that a lot in london where i could just see the writing on the wall some of these high-flying like the salaries of some of these people were just outrageous i'm talking hundreds of thousands of pounds a year but you know, I don't want to judge or, you know, be judgy or anything, but they clearly didn't look after their health. Yeah. You could see it. They were drinking, you know, four or five times a week. And to be fair, I was probably drinking like three times a week because London has a big culture of going out yeah. to the pub nearly every night. But I could just see uh, – and they were away from their families a lot. Yeah. Like that – I remember one dude was like – I hope he's not listening. I, I don't <laughs> think he would be, but he was – um. He lived in Ireland and he'd fly in to London like Monday at like 4 a.m. He would have to fly in, catch a train out of London to client site, would work there to Thursday, fly back to his family. And I thought, man, like, is that the sort of life that he, that dude envisioned he would be living? And I just felt like the priorities, you know, were way off for me. Yeah. And I get, I, look, I know everyone's different. And if you want to chase the career, then, you know, you chase the career. But, yeah, that is like, I would never, ever do that. I wouldn't care how yeah. much you paid me. That would just be like, absolutely not. So Yeah, no, um, I hear you. I'm the same. But I then at the same time, everybody's different. Everybody's got different priorities. For some people working 80 hours a week, but then being able to buy a new car every year, I think it makes them happy. So I think there is people like that. But yeah, it's it's not me. So Yeah, totally, totally. Now, some people might argue that flamingo fire is very very close to coast fire is there a difference and if so what would be the difference yes so um first thing is so when i came up with flamingo fire there was no coast fire so this was back in early 2016 and i actually went back a few years ago when everybody started talking about coast fire to see if maybe that was the big concept that i actually just missed But nobody spoke about it back then. I mean, that was a different time in the fire space, right? It was all about standard fire. So I didn't know about coast fire when we came up with this concept. And um, the math behind coast fire is quite complicated, where flamingo fire is really simple. So coast fire, for those who don't know what it is, it's basically one of the first milestones and probably a really important milestone on the way to fire. It's the point at which you could potentially stop working, sorry, stop saving 
and just semi-retire, cover your living expenses until you hit traditional retirement age, which most people can achieve. And if they start saving their early 20s, if your coast fine number is something like $100,000, so really, really low. And then in theory, you should still be able to reach fire by the time you reach traditional retirement age in your 60s. So that's Coast Fire and Flamingo Fire is different in the sense that it's only usually 10, maybe 15 years until you reach fire. So in retrospect, I realized that Flamingo Fire is actually a version of Coast Fire. But instead of traditional retirement age, our target age here is just 10 years from now, basically. And I read a lot about Coast Fire in the last maybe two years when everybody started talking about it. And um actually created a calculator because I found it really intriguing. Um, and it's a great concept. Um, and I added it to the repertoire of things I recommend to people who don't want to pursue traditional fire because I think it's a very valid choice for a lot of people. But for us personally, I don't want to have to be semi-retired until 65, not because I won't work until 65, because I probably will. But just because I want to have options earlier, maybe my health will fail, maybe my kids need help, maybe my priorities change. So for me, a fire date that is 10, maybe 15 years away is a lot more attractive than when I'm 65. So um, that's the big difference. Mm, Very well explained. Life has a um, habit of throwing curveballs at you, which is half the reason that we actually don't, we, we plan to reach financial independence outside of super. Um, is a major part of that because, you know, what happens if our priorities shift or, you know, what happens if we want to do something else? What happens is the, go- the government, you know, extends the preservation age. I just felt more comfortable paying more tax yeah. and being reaching freedom outside of uh, of super. Yeah. So just quickly, Tina, what makes up your portfolio if you're willing to share? What do you guys invest in and how do you plan to build that financial snowball to fund your lifestyle? Yeah. Um, so our nest egg um, composition is really boring. That's why I don't write much about investing or how we invest. So we have a whole basket of index funds, international index funds, um, most of them Vanguard, um, some Australian ones, we have some LICs, and then we have an investment property, which we want to hold for quite a while because we want to keep uh, a foot in the property ladder. That's pretty much the only reason we got that. And yeah, our super is also invested in high growth options. We have some fixed interest and some cash and that's it. And we're sort of throwing more and more money into um, index funds. We actually have some employer shares because we both work for US companies. So we get um, employer shares regularly and we're slowly selling them down and shifting that money into index funds. So while we're not actively saving anymore, we are still managing our portfolio and shifting things around. But yeah, it's just really boring, like a nice mix uh, that we're quite comfortable with. And yeah, it works for us. Yeah, seems like the pretty standard approach, uh, you know, some shares, some property, some cash. Yeah, yeah, nice Just stuff. a little bit of everything. Yeah, yeah, that diversification, right? Now, you blogged a little bit about uh, high living costs in Sydney, which is where you currently reside. How are you planning to relocate to a lower cost of living later on? And have you decided whereabouts in Australia that you guys want to move to? No, we haven't. So at the moment, we're just really happy where we are. We are 30 seconds from the beach. We have a really nice apartment. Like We have a great lifestyle. But we are renting and it's really expensive. We've spent over $40,000 a year just on rent. 
So um, Sydney, crazy. Yeah, and that's actually cheap for the size of the apartment. Oh, blows my mind. That blow, blows my mind coming yeah. from the country. And I, I lived in London, so I get it. Like expensive rents, but it's just- You get used to it. I was shocked at the start, but you just get used to it and you suck it up and you just deal with it. And But we do, I mean, we could obviously move to, uh, to Western Sydney or a smaller apartment, but we really get a lot of value out of the location we're in and the lifestyle factor. I love living right next to the beach. I love going for walks, bush walks. Um, it's just we get so much out of it. We actually don't spend much on entertainment or going anywhere else because we don't need to because we live in the nicest location already. So it's really worth it for us. Um, and the rest, I think the rest of the cost of living is actually quite affordable compared like I have family in Brisbane and I think most things are actually more expensive there things like eating out so I think if you take out the rent it's not actually too bad in Sydney and the incomes are obviously a lot higher than in other places so for now um, we'll stay put Um, we don't actually know where we'll end up we're actually considering relocating to Europe to be a bit closer to my family and because I also want to offer our kids a bit more diversity, expose them to different cultures, traveling, which is just like a normal thing you do. If you live in Central Europe, you can just jump on a train or jump on a plane and you're in a different country with a different language. I really miss that. So we are considering doing that. And otherwise, we will probably end up in a bit of a cheaper location in Australia, probably still close to a capital city, but obviously not Sydney because we don't want to buy a house or an apartment here and then be in debt for the next 150 years so <laughs> we, we haven't decided I mean COVID has obviously changed things for a lot of people and we're just here at the moment waiting for things to change borders to open and we're just in a really fortunate situation so we'll just stick it out um, for a little longer but it looks like we might be relocating back to Europe next year there you go and that's cool like if you're enjoying your life there's really no reason to change it is there unless you know you're the plan for something else but um sydney you know it is the the real estate prices is so crazy and i haven't lived in sydney ever and i've only visited a few times but it is a kick-ass city at the end of the day like i know people harp on about it's so expensive it is it's like some of the best beaches in the world and the best city beaches like people maybe that haven't traveled the world do not understand how good Sydney's beaches are to be in a major city like this is a world it is a world-class city gets all the big concerts like world-class chefs you know events everything is in that city and you've got one of the best beaches in the world you know right in there as well it's special and that's why people with a lot of money pay pay a lot of their money to you know grab a bit of that land that they're it's not like they're making more land in Sydney which is why it's so valuable yeah no, 100%. And it's so worth it for us. Um, Mr. Flamingo goes surfing every day after he drops the kids off at childcare. It's, that's worth a lot more than money um, for us. It's just, um, yeah, we're really enjoying it and it's worth every penny. I know I could probably rent somewhere out west for $400 a week instead of close to 900 but um, I wouldn't be as happy and I would have probably spent all of my money at the mall or I don't know what people do who don't have all of this. Um, so Yeah. The main thing is you're happy, right? And yeah. I, I did read your expenses post that you posted. Yeah. And I think it was around about, what, like 80-something thousand a year that you're currently yeah. spending, you, you and your family, which is sometimes I read expenses off you know, some fire blogs and they just seem like so outrageously 
low. And I know that might be hypocritical of me to say because I'm sure people read our expenses and like, oh my God, how can you only spend, you know, $50,000 a year, whatever it is. But, you know, this is someone like yourself, Tina, that's spending $80,000. And I think that is going to be relatable to a lot of people out there yeah. listening, especially if they're in Sydney and they're paying these high rental prices. Like, it's not like you're living on beans and rice. You know, you no, guys are no. living an enjoyable life. You're on, you know, this flamingo, you're semi-retired. Like, it's a really great lifestyle that you're currently living. And I think it's awesome. Yeah. No, we're definitely not living on beans and rice. We get our takeaway coffee. We get our poke bowls and sushi and uh all the bells and whistles. Um, so yeah, it's um, definitely very enjoyable. And yeah, I know like a lot of people say, oh, that's so much money, but it's not really, if you take out the rent and things like childcare, it's really not that much. It's actually less than what um, you would need. The ASFA, I think it's called, they publish like a retirement standard every year. And we actually spend uh, less right. than the modest retirement amount a person would need um, if you take out rent. So um, I don't think it's too high. I actually saw in your Facebook group, like there was a post the other day that I found really entertaining where somebody asked, what's your number? And then these people come up with these numbers, like three, four, five million dollars, $10 million. It's like, oh my God, I live like in probably the most expensive place you can live in Australia and I don't need $10 million or $3 million to afford fire. I, I, I feel like, some of those people, yeah, I, I 100% agree. I feel like some of those people, like everyone's different. And I know there's the fat fire or high fire, you know, subculture within fire. But I feel like some of those people have missed the point and the reason so many people were attracted to fire. Like it wasn't about the money or finances. It was about living a better life. Yeah. Like money, to me, the money and the investing and everything is a means to an end. It's not like- you know, I'm going to get to $10 million and then I'll just have an outrageous amount of money like passively coming in every year. I can just be an absolute baller. It's like comes back to this efficient spending, yep. mindful consumption and and sustainable living is a major, major part of the FIRE community, I think anyway. And that is what appealed to me. You know, a lot of what Mr. Money Moustache yeah. was writing about, a major component of that appealed to me. It's like, Yes, a lot of the things that we do in 2000, you know, 21st century, the consumerism um, culture is just bonkers and it's nuts. It's stupid. Like we we don't have to be like this. We don't have to do things just because society tells us to do it a certain way. You can take an alternative path and live a way better life. And I don't care if people think I'm, you know, stupid for, you know, driving a like a you know, 20-year-old Camry, even though I'm earning $100,000 and everyone's like, why the hell are you driving that car? I don't care because it's going to make me be able to save more, invest more and reach freedom quicker. And that is the end goal. That is, I want my time back. I want to be able to buy my time and live a better life and, you know, work on things I want to work on and not be told what to do by someone, you know, that I might not um, like or, you know, be at a place I don't want to be at. That that's was the end goal to me. Yeah. No, I completely agree with that. But I also think that there are you know, different groups within the FIRE community who have different goals. And there is people who basically use FIRE principles to fund like a really luxurious proper retirement so i think it's just a bit of a mix now so i think at the start there were all of these people like uh, you and me who are mr money mustache fans and, and about all of that kind of stuff and then there's also lots of different people now who just use the principles to pursue their own goals which is fine but um yeah 
it's just uh, a bit more diversity now, I guess. Yeah, it's, it's interesting to see as well. Now, before I let you go, I loved an article uh, you wrote the other month called The Hypocrisy and Manipulation. Is the FIRE movement corrupt? <laughs> Can you chat a bit about what was the motivation behind writing that piece? Because I thoroughly enjoyed it and I'm going to put a link in the show notes for the listeners out there to read. Yeah, yeah, sure. Well, it was more of a ramble, but uh, I felt, uh, <laughs> I mean, I had been thinking about this stuff for a long time before I actually wrote it. But I've also been thinking about it as well. That's why when I read it, I was like, ah. <laughs> I think a lot of people have, but nobody, you know, like wants to burn bridges. Um, but then I thought, oh, look, I've got this blog. I can say what I want. Uh, I'm semi-retired. It's not like I do this, uh, totally. you know, to get rich or anything like that. So I can say my what I really think. Um, yeah, no, I just think that the fire movement has changed a lot. I think back to the early days, 10 years ago, when there was just a few fire blogs, you know, people were really in it for the right reasons to help each other out, to do things for society, to find a way to leave the rat race, to follow their passions, to, you know, live a simple life and uh, lead a simple life, stuff like that. And I think that now there is a lot of people who are in it for the wrong reasons, who want to make money off the fire movement. And I think that's really, really sad. And that is something that really annoys me because if you Google fire now, you won't find Mr. Money Mustache. You will find websites that were designed for people to find them if they research fire or early retirement. And they don't always have the reader's best interest at heart, if that makes sense. And I think there's so many new people in the fire community who are in a way quite vulnerable because they don't know what's right or wrong or who they should listen to. Yeah. And I think, um, yeah, it's not fair to take advantage of them. And I think what I find found Mr. Money Mustache, there weren't so many people around. There was always, there was always the get rich crowd, you know, the MLL people, um, all of this kind of stuff, but it was like in a parallel universe. And now the universe have sort of universes have sort of collided and I really don't like it. And I think there's still like the core to the, of the community is still there. There's still the people who were, who have always been there, but there's also a lot of other people and not everybody has the best motives. And, um, yeah, I, I just thought that was, um, something that I felt I needed to call out. Mm, no, it's, I feel, and I have been feeling for the last couple of years as well that it's been hijacked and it's been, um, uh, I'm, I don't, <laughs> I don't call anyone out obviously, but, um, and this is a perfectly valid social media platform, but there is a lot of, you know, these, uh, TikTok people now and other social media platforms that is a little bit like, are you publishing content? Like you said, and like the article goes into, which, you know, I encourage everyone out there listening to read, are you publishing to actually uh, help people out or because you know you've got a story to tell or you know something that's genuine or you actually trying to do something with a sole intention of making money and a lot of these ones is just like like you can sort you can see if you know what you're looking for it's it's obvious as day and yeah, it's a bit sad. Yeah, if you know what you're looking for. Yeah, that yeah, like you're right. You, you're you're totally right. The, you get these young people that you know search fire, and then fire gets a bad rep, and then suddenly it's in the news to be like these finfluencers yeah. are giving bad advice, or they're trying to give financial advice, and they don't have a license, and all this other stuff. And it's 
it's a little bit, it's like poisoning the movement a little bit. It's going to be interesting to see where it goes. But hey, maybe that happens, you know, with a lot of things, not just fire. It's, yeah, I just wanted to give a shout out to that article yeah. basically. Cause, Thank you. You know, I definitely hear you. And um, yeah, it's it's a bit sad to see. Just read the Mr. Money Mustache blog. That's all you need uh, people out there. It's, <laughs> it's the Bible, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, can't go wrong. Uh, yes. Okay, Tina, we've reached the end of the podcast. If people want to reach out to you, what is the best place they can get you at? Yep, uh, just on my website, www.moneyflamingo.com. I also have a Facebook page. Um, I'm on Twitter, but I'm not a big social media user. So if you want to reach out, it's probably easiest to send me an email over the contact form on my website. Yeah, that's probably the best best place. Amazing. All right. Well, it's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you so much for coming on. Thanks for having me. And uh, yeah, really appreciated the chat. All right. This was a lot of fun. Thanks, Matt. Well, there you have it, guys. Flamingo Financial Independence or Flamingo Fire. A very cool concept and one that I'm probably living right now, scaling full-time work back even just a little bit can have astronomical benefits that I can personally attest to. And I know what it's like personally when you discover fire, uh, if you're going down the traditional fire route, you might have 10, 15 years in front of you. It can be a little bit daunting. It can be a little bit overwhelming and you might think that's so far away. So I really like this different version of fire and I think it's applicable to a lot of you guys out there listening and I would encourage you to check out the links in the show notes. As always, it would be very cool if you could give this podcast a rating and review on iTunes and a like on Facebook if you are feeling generous. That's it for today, guys. I'll catch you on the next episode. Peace. Thanks for listening to another episode. For all the show notes and a full transcription of today's episode, head over to aussiefirebug.com. Never miss another episode by subscribing to Spotify, iTunes, or wherever you get your podcasts. This podcast is for educational purposes only. Nothing in this episode should be taken as personal financial advice. You should always do your own research when making any financial decision.